my lessons, yes, there are going to be boundaries, there are going to be rules and expectations, and okay, there will be assessments. Yeah. But I want you to enjoy your time in this classroom. Yeah. I want them to enjoy the process of learning, yeah. and I make that clear in the first week. Welcome to the show, Passion for Learning, Inspiring Teachers. Today we have Ashley Yule, English teacher and deputy head of sixth form at Queen's Park Community School in Brent. She actually used to teach English at the school where I was a student, Alperton Community School, and we connected from there because straight away I can see that she was really engaging, really empowering to her students. And with today we talk about how she really builds vulnerability with her students in order to create that connection that helps them to transcend and transform their learning capabilities. Welcome to the show, Ashley York. Good How to be you? here. I'm very well, thank you, and you? Good, good, good. I'm very, very well. It's so good to catch up with you. We met when? I think we met when I was a teaching assistant at Queen's Park. And that you know, I didn't been... know that you were actually a teaching assistant. I thought you were just, I thought you were a teacher. No, I was a TA during those times, so that was about 2012, mm. I think. We didn't meet at school, though. No, we didn't. So I think we met through your cousin, if right. I'm right. Okay. Yeah. No, we didn't. Did I we knew not? Before that. Tell me. You fill me in because <laughs> no, my memory's obviously not very good. I can't remember. I've known you for a while though. But I, I think I've known you since like college days or school days or something like that. Maybe through somebody else, not even Shane. The whole time I thought it was Shane, but apparently not. No, it was definitely before that. Yeah, for sure. I'll leave that to you to do the work then. I'm going to find out <laughs> and I'm going to message you. Well, it's good to have you on the show because I know that I wanted to reach out to you because I know that you're a really inspiring teacher and you put up so much around education and how okay. you're inspiring the next generation. So tell us more about that. Uh, teaching. I mean, was it my childhood dream? No, not necessarily. But I feel like in my life, I've always been geared towards teaching. Mm. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, and for me, it's not just about academics. Mm -hmm. It's about instilling, you know, faith mm -hmm. in young people, getting them to believe in themselves. Um, and that's why I take it so seriously, because mm. we're not, it's not for me just about imparting knowledge, but it's about getting them to recognize the potential in themselves mm. as a person, mm. as a character. Um, and that's why it means so much to me. Yeah, it's about building the, the person, the human being, as opposed to just the skills within skills the human set. being. Absolutely. Mm. And I've always said that, you know, I'm here to help children develop characteristically, mm. not just academically. How do you share that with your students, let's say year seven, mm -hmm. on like the first day or first week of term? Interesting. So I think it's really important to try and get to know them mm -hmm. and let them get to know you as well. Yeah. So icebreakers are a really good way for you to kind of decrease the tension a little bit because sure. they're a little bit nervous. Yeah. Um, and I always make them aware mm -hmm. of what I set out to do. Yeah. Um, and I always say to them, you know, my lessons, yes, there are going to be boundaries, there are going to be rules and expectations, and okay, there mm -hmm. will be assessments. Yeah. But I want you to enjoy your time in this classroom. Yeah. I want them to enjoy the process of learning. Yeah. And I make that clear in the first week. And how do you go about, because you teach English, and how do you mm -hmm. go about making sure that that is an enjoyable process? And how do you find it in terms of working with the national curriculum framework, mm -hmm. whilst mm -hmm. also maintaining that enjoyment and freedom? I think for me, I've, I've always tried to incorporate 
creative writing, mm -hmm. drama into my... I wish you were my English teacher, man. <laughs> I would have been so good be... at English. <laughs> do you know what? If you were there, you might say something different. But I do try, I do really try to make learning as engaging and fun as possible. Mm. There are times, I'm going to be honest, where, you know, the lesson itself could be quite dry. Mm -hmm. uh, the content is difficult, it's challenging, particularly when you've got a mixed ability class and sure. you've got students in there that may struggle to access um, the content. But I always try to have an activity in there which they can connect with. Yeah. Um, and also try to make kind of connections to other subjects yeah. through what I'm teaching. So for example, if I'm teaching poetry, you know, and we're doing context, it might be about a war or something, try to talk about that so that we're not just solely talking about English, making yeah. those wider connections. Yeah, I think that's really important in terms of um, teaching and learning is how you connect it to other subjects, how you connect it to life yeah. so that children can take those learning understandings and apply them to various absolutely. scenarios. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Talking about mixed ability groups, mm -hmm. is that something that you have right the way through at your school, Queen's Park? Yes, that's... Um, very big part of the ethos mm -hmm. at Queen's Park. Mm -hmm. um, it's a stark contrast to what I was used to at Alperton. Okay. Uh, so Alperton, there were sets. So it was a new ball game for me. How do you think um, that affects, how, like what's the differences between that? Because obviously like, like someone like myself, mm -hmm. I've only ever seen it one way. I've only ever been taught it one way. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily rigorous when I was a student at mm -hmm. Alperton. Yeah. But it's interesting to kind of see it from the other side now as a as a grown adult. Like, what is the difference in outcomes and mm. understandings and how that affects performance? I think, to be honest with you, when I was teaching sets, I found that there was often a difference in confidence levels. Mm. Mm. When you teach higher ability sets, you find that the kids are usually have higher self-esteem. They know that they're in the top mm. set. The, bo the bottom sets are very aware of that. Mm. Uh, when I was at Alperton, I taught um, a set four class. So to put it in perspective, set five was, was sort of lowest academic achievers. Yeah. Um, and the first question they asked me when I taught them was, what set are we? Wow. And I told them, I was honest, mm. but I said to them from the beginning, your set does not define you. What defines you is your mentality. Mm. So that's one of the, the biggest things. Um, mixed ability, it's very interesting, very different. Mm. Um, but actually within both setting and mixed ability classes, you still have to be able to differentiate. Yeah, and absolutely. I think people think that if you are you know, teaching, for example, a set one class, you, you don't need to differentiate. You still need to do that. Mm. very big part of it so how do teachers differentiate effectively because a lot of teachers find it like a, like a, like a scary word differentiate oh no I don't yeah, want to yeah, do yeah, that yeah, or I yeah. find it really difficult or whatever how do you go about making that process more simple for yourself I think it's about knowing your students yeah if you know your class then you can decide on what activities are suitable for them. Mm -hmm. um, and what I try to do in all of my lessons is have something for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, the other day I was teaching a war poem um, to get them interested in the context. I had an image on the board of men in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, I want you to give me three to five adjectives to describe this image. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I gave an example 
and that set off the lower ability students. Mm -hmm. And then as a stretching challenge, okay, can we develop those words into a paragraph? How might these men be feeling? And then we have an ultimate stretch for those children who will finish it quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting off with the task, the stretching challenge, super stretch, ultimate stretch. But as I said, you know, the activities that you do really do depend on your class. Yeah. Um, and if you know them, it you makes know. that process an awful yeah. lot easier. Right? Mm, absolutely. How does that affect in terms of, it doesn't sound like it does, but I, I imagine some teachers might think, oh, differentiation means a lot more workload. How do you go about balancing that and making it simple? Again, I think knowing my students means that I know that certain activities will work well. Yeah. Um, for that, and that means... Does that, that, does that take more preparation time though in terms of the activities? Or not really? Not really, no, it doesn't mm. take, I mean, for example, if I'm providing a word bank, yeah. that doesn't take any time at all. Yeah. Little things like that. I think people, when they think of differentiation, they think of this worksheet with a hundred tables, boxes. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in yeah. that way. Um, differentiation can also be when you circulate around the class and you see a student who's struggling, you get down on their level and you say to them, okay, right, let's think of a, a sentence starter together. So it doesn't, mm. it can be sort of within the lesson framework. Of course, yeah. yeah. Like when I first heard the word differentiation, I don't know when it was, but maybe about 10 years ago or so, I was like, oh, what is that? What Sorry. does it mean, yeah. <laughs> but then I, yeah. I was like, oh, it's just like what I've been doing for the last six, seven years, which yeah. is just like altering the, the content to meet the needs of the learners, that's yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's like, there's been like, it's been like a kind of buzz term in education where I've had conversations with um, a lot of teachers and stuff like that and they find it like a really difficult concept to, concept to understand. Absolutely. But, but I think everybody, well, good teachers just do it quite naturally, quite, quite organically. I th yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think, you know, going back to what you said, when I was training as a teacher, uh, that word was thrown around and mm. everyone was horrified. What does this mean? How yeah. do we do it effectively? Yeah. But the more you practice, the more you know your kids, you know, you've taught a variety of learners. Mm. It just, it begins to be something you do quite organically in the classroom. Yeah, I think I learned it through like um, coaching tennis and stuff like that. It's coaching like, tennis. Yeah, like when I did my, um, when I did my tennis coaching courses, it was just like, you know, you, you, you're not going to teach the same thing to a five-year-old that is a beginner to yeah. the same thing that you're going to teach an eight-year-old who is quite advanced, you know, you can Absolutely. teach different content. Yeah. Um, and you might still be teaching the forehand, for example, but you'll teach it in a different way on a different level yeah mm. absolutely and that might be that must have been interesting for you doing it practically as well yeah yeah uh, well yeah. I love I used to love well I still do but I, I don't do it anymore but I yeah. used to love teaching PE isn't it yeah. so, that was your um, thing that was my thing there yeah, you go yeah, for sure so tell us about um, the sort of content that you're teaching in your schools now because you know you spoke, spoke a lot about like poetry mm -hmm. and, and and how you're linking it to the wider curriculum mm -hmm. tell us more about what's what does the English content look like in the national curriculum in secondary schools now Okay, so everything has moved to exams, right. uh, which was very different to when you and I was at school. Um, so you've got, for example, for GCSE, you've got two English language exams, mm -hmm. two English literature exams. Um, and the texts that you study for or teach for literature, uh, there's, a, there's a range. Mm -hmm. So we look at contemporary plays. And how do you um, go about choosing the right one for your students? Generally, it's a department decision. Okay. So, for example, we have to teach Shakespeare. Yeah. And my department at my school go with Romeo and Juliet. And mm -hmm. that's good because we can all share resources. Mm -hmm. um, but in my previous school, um, I taught Macbeth. 
Um, and I think there was some teachers doing Romeo and Juliet, some were doing Macbeth. But for me, I thought that the themes and the ideas in the play mm. would have connected more with my group. Yeah. Um, slightly less complex than, say, Romeo and Juliet. Sure. So, yeah. And what do you think the future is for English teaching in the UK? Do you think that it's going to change in the future to, like, different context like away from Shakespeare like mm. more modern things or do you think it's going to stay the same or do you think somewhere in between? I think that's quite a tricky tricky one to answer. Um, nowadays for GCSE the literature that has to be studied has to derive from English heritage mm. so while we can you know look at a variety of texts in Key Stage 3 mm. from you know writers from different backgrounds a lot of the texts that you do study in GCSE or you teach in GCSE our English heritage. Yeah. Um, I would personally like to see more different or different texts, different writers from mm. different backgrounds because I think especially teaching in an inner city London school, mm. we have children from all backgrounds mm. and I, you know, I think it's important for them to know what literature exists outside you know, mm. of English. Yeah. Um, so I would absolutely love for there to be more focus on multicultural you know, writers. Mm. But at this time, I don't know if that is going to happen for exam texts, you yeah. know? And there's a lot of narrative in education, especially in secondary education, how schools are <coughs> driving children to performance-based results mm -hmm. in order to get results, in yep. order to yep. seem more credible and yep. to get the right Ofsted grades and all that sort of stuff. How do you personally go about balancing that with teaching the child, not the subject, and teaching the whole child, teaching the subjects in a holistic way? Uh, I think, again, you know, we have to adhere to the framework mm -hmm. um, and there are certain boxes that we have to tick whether sure. or not we want to. Yeah. Um, but I, as I said earlier, I always try to incorporate something mm -hmm. in my lesson that I feel will stimulate them sure. in a way. Um, you know, for example, giving the students an opportunity to write their own poems or mm. their own uh, you know, creative writing text because it just takes away from assessment yeah. because it is an assessment driven regime now and that is something that unfortunately we have to contend with but if you give Why the students... Why is it unfortunate? Them, because I don't think it allows as much freedom. Mm. Mm, and I, how, does that, how does that affect outcomes do you think in terms of the teenagers and how they, trans how they progress into adulthood? I think it's problematic because I think that they measure their self-worth based on their grades. Wow. And that still happens? Absolutely. Wow. I think it happens more <laughs> than ever now because yeah. everything is about exam as opposed to, you know, when we were at school, we got to do coursework. Mm. We could redraft it. Do you not do coursework anymore? No. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not joking. <laughs> like, really? We don't do, no. So wow. for English, it's all exam. Uh, and even the spoken language uh, qualification is separate it's mm. not part of English language whereas before it constituted as part of that mm. so I think students are defining themselves by their grades mm. and it kind of in a way takes the fun out of learning when everything is about a test which unfortunately they see as defining yeah because when we become into adulthood and we get into professional environments we're constantly learning as well and I feel like the exam culture it kind of puts a cap on learning because you're always driving towards exams. Like once you finish your exams, you're like, right, I'm done learning. I'm done. And yeah. it has that subconscious yeah. feeling of, okay, I'm done learning. Yeah. I'm yeah. in a corporate environment, yeah. but I'm done learning, which then affects 
the the socio-economic environment and how people perform in, in the workplace Absolutely. because people then feel like they don't need to learn anymore. I've yeah. done my exams, I've yeah. got my qualifications, what now. do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. learning should be fun, it should be enjoyable, it should be something that is enriching and continuous. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I think you're right and I think that's something that we need to make clear to students yeah. that it's not a case of you've got your TCSEs, you've got your A-levels, yeah. boom, you're done. Yeah. Because actually these, these students may not go into academic fields anyway. Correct. What are you learning now? What are you passionate about learning right now? What, okay, so there's two things. Go on. Um, I have never really been good at maths. Mm. Um, and I've, I've said that to myself many, many a time. Um, and when I was going to do my QTS, QTS maths test mm. for teaching, I had a, quite a difficult experience and I, I, was fa I failed a couple of times. Mm. So I thought, you know what? This has always been something that I've been really afraid of. So I'm going to tackle it. Great. So at the moment, I'm actually teaching myself maths. Um, and that's one thing. Um, and, and I also think it's important because when you're at school, you've got some students who say, I'm not good at this. And they'll categorically tell themselves, I'm not good at it. Correct. But I want to kind of disprove that. I want to yeah. say, well, no, actually, if you work on it, you can do it. Yeah. So that's one thing. The second thing is uh, behavior management. Mm -hmm. I am setting myself targets. Um, I want to improve on behavior management. So every week I'm incorporating something or implementing something um, in my lessons to see if it makes a difference. I want to be proactive love rather it. than reactive. So that's something I'm working on at the minute. I love proactiveness <laughs> in terms of behavior. All about that. I think it's all about proactive behavior because I think if you set an environment of positive behavior within a classroom it becomes it, and it's not like a, a, a what one fits all solution it's not it's never easy um, but I think it is understanding that process in terms of like when kids are misbehaving or whatever it's like what have what have I done in terms of the environment that I've set to make that yeah. normalized behavior mm. to make that behavior normalized mm -hmm. or to make mm -hmm. that child think that he needs to or she needs to behave like that yeah absolutely um, yeah and just understanding the environment how can i shift it how can i change it in order mm -hmm. to make it more of a culture of excellence yeah as opposed to a culture of challenge yeah definitely agreed yeah. and that's part of the reason why because i think you know it's easy to turn around and say a student is challenging mm. yeah very <laughs> you're a challenging student out <laughs> you're irritating Correct. but it, it, of course there is that challenge mm. but at the end of the day with adults yeah what could we do differently? Can I sit there and say to you that I always walk into my lesson in the best mood? No, but mm. that's transparent. Correct. You need to be aware of and the energy that you're influences parents. how yeah. they behave. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And kids are perceptive. Yeah. They're very perceptive. So, More you know, so than I need adults to... a lot of the time. Yeah, mm. you know. so Mitch, you're feeling down today. What's happening? Well, go on. They were, within 10 <laughs> seconds, they yeah. will ask you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, they're very perceptive. So I think you, you need to know how to carry yourself mm. um, from even that perspective and just... What can I do to minimalize the, the distractions? So having a simple thing that I've tried recently, it's worked really, really well across the board, is giving the students something mm. to tackle as soon as they come in the room. Love it. Activate learning. Straight away. Yeah. And that eliminates the get into my seat. Yeah. And that distraction about, oh, I had a bad lunchtime or blah, lunch. blah, blah, push me or whatever but it was. It's it. just like, I'm active. I'm doing, I'm, that's it. And I make it very clear. It's on the board. It's in front of them. Mm. So they sit down and then you've got, you know, the model kids. So as, as the other kids are coming in, they see that learning is taking place. Correct. So little things like that really do make a big difference, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the next step for you in terms of your career trajectory? Interesting. So 
I recently, or a year ago, joined Middle Leadership as right. a co-deputy of Sixth Form. Okay, and that's awesome. been a new, interesting challenge for me. And I'm impressed. I'm proud of you. Thank you very much. Great. Um, ten years ago, I was at that Sixth Form, so it's interesting mm -hmm. how, how life's panned out. But yeah. um, for me, I think I want to do one more year. Mm -hmm in that role and then assess where I'm at after that mm -hmm. uh, to see whether I will continue in a pastoral role mm -hmm. or maybe move to teaching and learning, something teaching and learning based. What do you mean teaching and learning based? Uh, you know, in, in terms of could I do something in department, you know, okay. step up in department. So I think for me now it's a bit of a learning curve just to see what... How long have you been right. teaching now? This is my fourth year. Wow, is that wow. it? Yeah, I feel like and I've been doing it for a while. So do I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really kind of comes across in terms of your mannerism and your radiance that you've been doing it for a long time and that you're very, very skilled at what you do in terms of translating what you understand to a group of young inner city kids, which I think is really, really important for teachers to be able to... Because you can have as much knowledge as you like, right? But if you can't transcend it in a way in which connects Agreed. with other human beings, then actually it's not going to land in the same way and it's not going to give the children the, the, the ability to take that information in as readily as possible. I agree. And, and, and actually to touch upon that point, I think that there's this kind of misconception. Mm. Um, you know, you've got a lot of teach first, you know, this whole thing about teach first, you've got to have the best degree and I, I'm not going to, you know, judge people for that if mm. they've come through that through that way. But mm. I think that there is a, a bit of a misunderstanding it, just because you are academically smart mm. uh, and you know your, your subject, of course, subject knowledge is important. It's mm. part of the teaching standards. But yeah. if you, as you said, if you can't, you know, translate Connect. that connect with it's, young people is meaningless it's, it's, it's found it's the foundation isn't it like i was a typical kind of secret student pretty much all the way through in the subjects where i was really good is the ones that i enjoyed the most and that's where i got my a's and b's yeah you know, and the subjects yeah. that i was just like not really not really passionate yeah. well yeah. the subjects where i didn't it's not even the subjects that i really enjoyed but if you look at it externally it's the subjects where i had really inspiring teachers i excelled because you connected with them because i connected with way. them and i wanted yeah. to and I wanted they brought the subject to life like my history teacher he was just so passionate about history I didn't necessarily resonate with history I didn't necessarily resonate with the content but the way he created it the way he delivered it in a way in which inspired me you were I'm switched in. on I'm you in. were there history hey yeah. hey there we go there we go but <laughs> well, that says a lot doesn't it yeah of course but then you know something like DT and the, the guy was just like oh well if you want to learn learn if you don't bit don't. dry bit dry <laughs> Give me a D. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. I'm emotionally checked out. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah, I was yeah. in DT, I used to sit down and do my English homework. Let's say no more. Say <laughs> no more. Which is not something that, like, <laughs> that I'm promoting, but you know, it goes to show that if you're inspiring and engaging and you connect with people, you can bring the best out of them. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah I for agree, sure. I agree and you also that. do poetry, so tell us about that. My poetry. Okay, so I started writing poetry a long time ago. Mm. Um, I started experimenting with spoken word when I was about 15 mm. because I listened to a lot of hip hop, a, little, a lot of grime, and it just it went with my style of poetry. Mm. And um, I wrote this poem when I was about 15, and I've adapted it and modified it ever since, really. Mm. And that is the poem that I have performed to some of my teaching groups Love it. alongside a unit on poetry. Mm. And I must admit, it is very nerve wracking because you at that point are not a teacher, yes. you're an artist. Yes. And you become vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but I love that because it's nice for them to see that side of you. Mm. And they, I think they, 
I mean, judging by reactions, mm. really enjoyed it because like, they yes, see. Miss. Yeah, is that you, Miss? Is <laughs> yeah, that you? Yeah, yeah, you got bars, Miss. You yeah, know, yeah. but it's, it, you know what they're like. But um, it's it's nice because they see that there's more to you than meets the eye. Yeah. Um, and that you're kind of on their level a bit because you know I came from this yeah, this area exactly. I know, and you, know. you form a connection with your students, which is yep. you know really really powerful and resonates Definitely. with them, and you know make sure that they can they can see something which is beyond them. And I love the way that you bring your artistry to education, and um, it kind of leads me to the question: like you said that you didn't always want to be a teacher. What did you always want to be? What was your dream? Funny, uh, my dream was to do with writing. Yeah. I wanted to be a journalist. Mm. Um, so did I at some point. Did you? Yeah. I feel like if you're good at writing, that's what you want to do. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I wanted to do because I always enjoyed writing, but I found a way of kind of combining that passion mm. with teaching anyway. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it wouldn't have been for me because of the industry. Uh, so as I said, you know, I'm combining my love for writing yeah. and performing with teaching yeah. and therefore it's, it's perfect so i wouldn't want to be anywhere else and what advice finally what advice would you give for aspiring teachers out there that want to make a real positive difference on their learners and on the community that they serve what advice would you give for them be true to who you are mm -hmm. be confident in who you are mm -hmm. i would say teaching is your personality through a professional lens don't try and wait um, stop say that again I love that. that's brilliant that's brilliant rewind um rewind <laughs> so teaching is your personality through a professional lens mm. you I, I don't encourage emulating somebody else's teaching style of course mm. you can take things from teachers that you've seen sure be true to who you are yeah. because that is very very important and it's transparent Sometimes I've, I've even tried to adapt a kind of uh, learning style, or mm. sorry, teaching style, and it, it just didn't suit me, and mm. I, I felt it wasn't organic. Mm. So be true to who you are, um, and have confidence that what you're doing mm. will make an impact. Because sure. I think a lot of the time, you forget how important you are, yeah. and it may take a while, mm. you know. I mean, some of my teachers at the time, I may have looked really disengaged and disinterested, but actually, mm. I know that they made an impact on me because sure. I'm still thinking about them now. Yeah, like what you say to a student today still affects them 20 years down the line, you know. Yeah. So that's why we've got to be really careful and diligent with our words. Absolutely, um, and your actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growth well. mindset, right? Definitely, yeah. definitely. What What's the one... What's the one thing that you would change if you were at the top level of education, sort of uh, minister level? What's the one thing that you would change to radically transform education and improve it? Where do I start? I mean, look, this, this is a lot to do with funding. Mm. Stop taking money out of the arts, mm. the creative arts, you know what I'm saying? Music, drama, vocational subjects. Mm. For students who perhaps aren't as confident academically, mm. they need somewhere to express themselves. Mm. I would I would absolutely channel my energy into mm. ensuring that there is enough for students who are creative because I think at the moment, sadly, we are at a time in the profession whereby there isn't enough money being poured in. In fact, it's being taken away. Sure. And I think that that's really, really damaging. It stifles, yeah. Definitely. And we're in a different environment now as well, socially and economically. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, um, a lot more self-employed people out there now. I think 92 billion pounds a year is spent on creative industries. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, creative, uh, creative company companies that are 
focused on creativity and that sort of stuff they're finding yeah. it difficult to employ people because mm-hmm. they're not coming in with the with the creative understanding or the creative level of awareness that they need to be and yeah. it's within them it's residual within them it's just that they because they've not been taught in a way in which allows them to express themselves enough yeah they don't bloom yeah. they don't blossom in a way that they they, they could really really flourish absolutely ashley it's been fascinating talking to you thank been a you pleasure. so much for coming thank on you for show. having me and then yeah where can people find out more about you uh, more about me. So I do actually have a YouTube channel, um, but I'm reinventing it at the moment. So that's something that I will be using as a platform to uh, perform more of my spoken words, yeah. which actually a lot of the time is for students. And share your journey with us that now. Oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> However it goes. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye.